Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our lead pastor, Chris Figueretti, for this week's message. Well, hello, Vineyard Church, and welcome to Vineyard Online. Uh, it's an honor to be here, honored to, to really jump into this series we're calling 10 Talks. We're going to spend the summer going through the Ten Commandments, and the Ten Commandments have an enormous amount of impact on our lives. In fact, uh, they're not a bunch of dusty old rules. It is a roadmap to a better life. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm not a rule person. I don't, I don't like rules. I, I, if, if there's anything about rules, it's the spirit of the rule or the spirit of the law and not the letter of the law for me. Like if the speed limit's 55, that's to keep you safe. But if I can drive safely at 65, I'll do it, which gets me in trouble sometimes and gives me lots of stories for sermons. But you know, there are some crazy rules out there and some crazy laws. When I lived in New York, I took some kids to camp uh, they were high school kids, 17 and 18 year old kids, and we took them to camp. But New York has this law, or they did at least then, uh, that was called the buddy system. You could not go swimming in a lake in New York unless you had a buddy. And every five or 10 minutes or so, the lifeguard had to blow the whistle and you had to stop, find your buddy, high five and say, hey buddy. And we kind of made fun of all of this because I mean, you're talking 17 and 18 year old kids. It's not really, uh, I mean, maybe they came up with the system for five-year-olds, but they applied it to everybody. And, and man, I hate rules like that. I, I just, uh, I don't want to be controlled. I, I, I don't want to be ruled over like as few rules as possible. And, I, and I'm good with that. And for some of us, when we look at the Ten Commandments and we look at God, we think of, of God's laws like that as well. We think God is all about the rules. He likes watching us struggle and restricting our freedom and and somehow it, it kind of feels like we rub against it. There's a rub there because we think God's trying to rob us of the fullness of life. But the truth is, is the opposite is true. God's desire for you is to live life in all of its fullness. He created you in his image to have a relationship with you. And he wants for you to live life in its fullness. And he knows how that happens. He knows how to get there from here. Jesus is famous for, for saying this in John chapter 10, verse 10. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus came from the Father to bring us life in all of its fullness. So what's the thief? Well, sin is the thief. Sin is what robs us from life in all of its fullness. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 wrote these words. Uh, and I so relate to this because I was a runner in high school. He says this, let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out, with us, or marked out for us. When I was in high school, I ran cross country and I loved getting out on the open road and running for miles. I mean, we would practice, we'd run 10 to, to 15 miles and I, you would find yourself in this, this runner's zone. And if you've ever been there, you know it feels so good. Your, your breathing rhythm kind of finds its stride. Your, your running finds its stride. And there's just this feeling of freedom. And, and what the writer of Hebrews tells us is that sin is what holds us back. 
Sin is what entangles us and, and pulls us back from this, this freedom that we can experience if only we will live the way God designed life to work. And that brings us to the Ten, ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are really the bedrock, the foundation of civilization. They're, they give us the ability to live as a civilized people. They give us the ability to live life in its fullness as individuals. They help us to know how life works. They help us to know how to live our very best life. And they help steer us clear of the things that will rob us of life. They're the spiritual equivalent of, you know, of a parent telling their young child, don't drink poison. Not because they want to restrict their freedom, because they want them to live and become everything they can be. It's the spiritual equivalent of a, of a parent telling their, their teenager, look, you need to get enough sleep and you need to eat right. And I know you would like to eat egos all day, every day, three meals a day and for snacks, but that's not going to be good for you. You need to eat healthy food if you want to thrive, if you want to be a healthy person. And that's what the Ten Commandments are for us. It's God's desire for His best for us and for our best. Now, I want to read the Ten Commandments to us. I want to go back and, uh, and, and just go over the Scripture that we find the Ten Commandments in. And they're found in a couple places, but I'm going to read from Exodus 20, verse 2 through, through 17. And this is what it says. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth below, or the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I am the Lord your God, and I am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant or his ox or donkey or his Lamborghini or whatever else he has or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And that's it. Those, those are them. Let's pray. And then I want to jump into uh, how, this, how this applies to our lives today. Heavenly Father, would you uh, give me the words to speak today? And I pray for each person watching and, and listening that you would give all of us the ears to hear what you're saying to us specifically. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a little bit of background on all of this. God reveals himself to the people of Israel through the Ten Commandments. The people of Israel had been in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. They had lost their national identity. They had been, in a lot of ways, assimilated into Egyptian culture. They didn't know who they were. They didn't know uh, collectively what God thought. 
They didn't know how to live. All they knew how to do was what their slave masters had told them to do each and every day. And God reveals himself to the people of Israel through Moses and through these Ten Commandments. And he's telling them, guys, this is what I am like. This is what I like. And this is how life works best. He gives them guardrails and a national identity and the, a framework within which to live that is going to bring freedom and prosperity to them. And it is the anchor for the Old Covenant. In the Old Testament, God has this covenant between the people of Israel and himself. We call it the Old Covenant, and, and it's based on the law. Their standing with God was linked to their ability to keep these rules. And, and over and over again, what we see are the people of, of God, the Israelites, either rejecting God and walking away from his rules or just not able to, mat, uh, to live up to what God has asked them to do. And so God gives them this sacrificial system because the wages of sin is death. The wages of falling short of God's standard is, is death. And rather than requiring their death, God says, look, you can ha have an animal stand in for you. And so they have this whole sacrificial system. Well, Jesus shows up Right? Jesus shows up a thousand plus years later and he lives out this law perfectly. He's the only one who ever did it. He fulfilled the law. And then at the end of his life, he was sacrificed as the final offering for sin so that the things that we've done wrong could not just be forgiven but washed away completely given a brand new start because of what Jesus did on the cross. But he had to live that perfect life. He had to fulfill that law first. And then he does something so profound. He establishes a new covenant. He gives us a new covenant, one that's not based on rule keeping in the law, but that is based on grace. So the question then I'm sure you're asking at this point is, so why study the Ten Commandments? If it's not the pathway to salvation and forgiveness and relationship with God, why study them? Be and I want to tell you why, because it is the pathway to fullness of life. It's, it's how and what God thinks. It's what pleases him. It's how life works best. And it's how to live your best life. These, these laws, these principles, this way to live is still the best way to live. And so today, what we're going to look at is we're going to look at the second commandment. Last week, Chris Dew taught on the first commandment, and which is no gods above God. God is first in our lives. He wants that first place position. This week, we're going to look at what God has to say about idols. And so we're going to start in Exodus 20, verse 4. And this is what it says. It says, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. Now, God is not saying we're not allowed to make art. He's not saying we can't have sculptures and we can't, we can't paint paintings or any of that. He's talking specifically about idolatry, making idols to worship. And the reason God doesn't want us to do that, and there are, there are several and we're going to go into them, but one of those reasons is because you become what you focus on. You become what you focus on. And it, it, so, so, for example, 
Say you had a lousy father. Maybe he wasn't even involved in your life or maybe he, he walked off on your family and abandoned you or maybe he was abusive. I don't know. But you choose to hold on to hate for your father. You know what hate is? Hate is thinking about what they've done wrong to you over and over and over again. And you focus on that. And over time, you will become a hateful person. It's inevitable because you become what you focus on, what you think about, you become. The scripture says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And that is true. I mean, that is a universal truth. So when we focus on an idol over and over again, a dead piece of an inanimate object, that's what we become like. It steals from us life. Now, let me give you a little bit of historic context here. In this day, in this age, in this part of the world, when the Ten Commandments were given to the people of Israel, the concept of gods and the, the nations that surrounded them were you had your land, then you had the people of the land. You know, when you think about it, God promised Abraham what? A land, a promised land, and that would be the, the land of those people. And then you had the God of the land. So you had the land, the people of the land, and the God of the land. But when a neighboring country would invade and would win, what typically happened is the people wouldn't abandon the God of the land that they were in and, and the, the, the land of their ancestors. They would, but they would begin to worship the God of the invading country because they, well, they, they won. And so maybe that God has some power. And, <clears throat> and so they would adopt that God and that form of worship into what they were doing. And so all the, the nations that surrounded Israel and the people of God at that point in history were what we call polytheistic. They worshiped many gods. And, and God says, look, I'm unique. I am different. Others might have many gods, but there is only one true God, Yahweh, and I am him. And, and you are to worship only me. Other gods had images. God says, not me. I am different from every other God. I'm bigger than, than any image could capture. And if you tried to capture an image of me, it would just diminish my glory. I mean, he's the God that made the heavens and the earth. He is bigger than anything we can fathom. And he's like, so no images, not even of me, because you don't even know what I look like. And in verse five, it goes on to say, you shall not bow down to them or, or worship them. Any, any image, because... God understands wired into us is, is this propensity to worship the things that we can see. See, if you can see it, you'll serve it. And now, again, I, I can just guess what you're thinking at this point. You're thinking, well, those people were really primitive, right? That was, that was a different time and a different place. We don't do that today. But you know what? We're just like them. We have that same propensity to worship what we can see rather than worship the God who is bigger than, than our world, bigger than our universe. And we do this in church. One of the things that, that I hear on a regular basis, people will, will come up to me in conversation. They'll have started attending the church and, and uh, been here for a while and their life has started changing. And God is doing an amazing work in them. And they'll come up to me and they'll say, you've changed my life. Now, I understand what they're saying. And I've got told a lot of grace for those conversations. But I'm thinking in the back of my mind, really? You're giving me credit for changing your life? I mean, the power of, 
of God is at work within you. The Spirit of God has come and taken up residence in your heart. He's rewiring your life. He's making you a new creation, and you're giving me credit? But that's, that's what we do, because we tend to worship what we can see, to give credit to what we can see. And the, and the problem with pedestals like that is that when, then when a pastor falls, a pastor makes uh, a, a moral uh, mistake or whatever else, it rocks people's faith. And your faith shouldn't be in me and it shouldn't be in any other person. It should be in God. But it illustrates our propensity to worship what we can see. We, the, this, the commandment goes on, it goes, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, a lot of times people will read that and they'll say, well, God's a petty God because he's a jealous God. But this is not pettiness in the way that, this is not petty jealousy in the way that we think of jealousy. This is a totally different kind of, of jealousy. It's not like when I was a kid uh, and I had a big wheel. Do you guys, do you remember big wheels? You might, might, might have been before your time, but when I was growing up, I had a big wheel and, and all, the, all the kids in the neighborhood did too. We're five, six, seven years old and big wheels were really, really cool. Uh, and my big wheel, I had a brake. Not all the big wheels had a brake, but it was a handbrake you could pull and I had streamers on the handlebars and I would come down the hill and we would hit a jump and catch air and then land and I would pull that brake and slide the back end around and it was awesome. But you know what? My big wheel was nicer than, than some of the other big wheels in the neighborhood. And then there was a kid who had a green machine. And the green machine, they were, they were awesome looking. But you would steer with the back wheels and you had these levers that didn't have steering wheels. It had levers. It was so cool. And so I was a bit jealous of the guy who had the green machine. Now that's petty jealousy. Maybe you're jealous of your brother because he has a better job than you or makes more money than you. Or you're jealous of a friend because they have a nicer car or a nicer house than you do or a better career than you do. And that is petty jealousy. That's not what we're talking about. God's jealousy is different. God is jealous for you. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. And he doesn't want you worshiping other things. He doesn't want you worshiping lesser things because lesser things, the worship of lesser things will jack up your life. You know, we can worship and, and we have a propensity to worship even good things in our lives. Our marriages, our spouses, our kids, we put them in that first place position because we can see them or stuff or pleasure or, or success. There's a lot of success worship that goes on in our culture. But God knows that if you worship those things, those become idols in your life. They will leave you empty and they will lead you far from him. Lesser gods are thieves. They will rob you of your best life. And, and, and the problem is, is if you can see it, you have a propensity to serve it. You have a propensity to worship it instead of God. Well, let's read on. He says, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. God's ways work. There is blessing in following his ways. And when we do, life works. And God is, blesses us when we stay on the right track. 
But he does bring discipline when we don't, when we get off track. And it's not out of hate. It's not out of spite. It's not out of petty jealousy. It's out of love. It's out of a a, a jealousy for you, for your very best. And so sometimes God will bring discipline to our lives because we're so far off the rails. And if you read through the Old Testament, we're we're so wired to think about like today and maybe tomorrow. But sometimes this happens over the course of years or even generations to bring people back on track. Well, if you, again, if you read through the Old Testament, one of the things that you will see are the people of God who they'll do well for a while and then they'll drift and God will, will, will punish them and will bring them back. And sometimes it does take a generation or two to get them back on track. But you see this pattern happen over and over again. But one of the things that God says to the people of, uh, the people of Israel over and over again is that idolatry is spiritual adultery. Idolatry is spiritual adultery. When we worship other things than God, it is adultery. We are cheating on God, so to speak. And this is a big deal. Now, again, I'm guessing you're probably sitting there thinking, well, I got this one. I've never worshiped an idol before. Now, I mean, I've never bowed down to a, you know, a golden calf or, or anything else. And I'll give you that. It's very likely that you haven't. But we have our idols in this day and age, don't we? One of the big idols of this day is money. You know, we put our trust in money. And, uh, and when you put your trust in money, when you worship money, when you need to have more and more money, you will never have enough. You never, it's an insatiable addiction when that is where our hope is placed, when that ends up in, in a place above God. Now, money's not bad. God, God does not say money is bad. You know, the, people always go around quoting scripture saying money is the root of all evil. Money, it doesn't say that. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. Money, money can be good. We, in fact, God wants us to use money. He wants us to spend money. He wants us to save money. He even wants us to love with money. He just doesn't want us to love it because that is the number one competition for first place in our lives. It was in his day. It was in Jesus's day. It is today. That's why money comes with a, la- a warning label on it. You know, if you pull out a $20 bill or, or any bill, it has a warning label on the back. It's amazing. It says, in God we trust. Why? Because we're tempted to put our trust in the money. It's like, don't trust this. Don't place your trust in this. Put your trust in God. And when we look to something other than God for our hope and for our security and for our life in all of its fullness, it will end up ruling you. And God doesn't want that for you. But when you look on God, and have you ever, ever noticed there's no image of God? He's bigger than any image. When we look at his word and we read about him and when we build a relationship with him and his spirit working in our life, you know what we end up seeing? We end up seeing his character. And as we focus on him, we become like him. And that was the point all along. Well, part of God's motivation, I believe, for this this commandment is that 
that we do have a propensity to look at things and call it God. So don't look at stuff and call it God. Don't look at stuff and call it God. If you want to see what God looks like, look at Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 1, 15 says this. It says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Jesus is what God looks like. But you know what? We don't have any pictures of Jesus. We don't know what he looks like. I know you think you do because you saw a picture of him in maybe Sunday school or a kid's Bible, you know, and he's got blonde, long, blonde, flowing hair and blue eyes. But I promise you, that's not what Jesus looks like. Jesus was not Scandinavian. He was born in the Middle East. He had brown skin. He, they couldn't keep a robe white because they walked around on dirty streets all the time. It was just a, we don't know what he looks like. We have artist renderings and depending on which culture you're in, he looks like the culture that, that you're in. But we don't know what Jesus looks like. And there is a reason for that. It's the wisdom of God. Because if we did, we would start worshiping what we thought he looked like. And God doesn't want us focusing on that. He wants us focusing on his character because he wants us to become like his son in character. So you can't see the form of God with your eyes, but you can see the character of God with your heart. And when you look on the character of God, you become like him. You know, last week, Chris Du said, uh, you know, we need to keep God first in everything, in our marriage, in our work, with our kids, Keep God before our stuff, before our success, before all of that. We need to be careful. We need to be careful, especially, and that's what this week is all about. Be especially careful with the stuff you can see. Because as human beings, our propensity is to put those things before our God who we can't. In Luke chapter 4, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus says these words. He says, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Worship the Lord God and serve him only. And yet we have such a tendency to worship other things. We still have idols, whether it be our kids or our success or our spouse or our comfort. That's a big one in today's day and age. Or our financial security, another big one. Or maybe it's our own image. You know, people are consumed with how do I look on social media and how do I look to the world around me and do I have the right car and the right house and the right clothes? And we get all consumed with that. The prophet Jonah said these words. He said, those who cling to, the wor to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Let me read that again. This is a profound statement. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. When we put other things before God, we're walking away from God's love for us. And guys, the best thing in this life is the love of God. The best thing, the most fulfilling thing, where our peace comes from, where our hope comes from, where our joy comes from, where life in all of its fullness comes from is a relationship with God and the love of God being poured into our lives. And when we begin worshiping other things, it robs us of the best part of this life. 
You know, God is so for you. He is so for you. He loves you so much. And he warns us here in the second commandment that we have to remember what is true, what is real, and how much he loves us and how much he desires for us to worship him and him alone. In Psalm 113, verse 5, it says this, Who is like the Lord our God? The one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of his people. He settles the children or the childless women or woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. Let me interpret this for us. Who is like the Lord our God? The answer, rhetorical question, the answer is no one. There is no one like God. There is no one who loves you like your heavenly Father. And He causes us to fulfill our destiny. He provides for us our every need. He heals our broken lives. He fulfills our deepest longings. That's what that passage means. Nothing else does or even comes close. And nothing else in this world should be worshiped only God he lifts you to your calling he makes your life fruitful and guys that's what the second commandment is all about and we forget this to our own destruction to our own peril because we end up far from God and we end up broken and empty on the inside and we remember it and when we remember it it leads to life in all of its fullness And that's God's desire for you. That's God's best for you. And that's what I hope for, for every single one of us. God's best life. And the pathway is found in part in these Ten Commandments. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came to rescue us. Thank you that you came to bring us life in all of its fullness. Thank you, God, that you're not holding out on us, but you're waiting for us to turn to you and engage in this relationship with you, to worship you and to walk in your love and your redemption and your healing and your purpose and the life that is truly life. God, I pray that you would help all of us to do business with you today. Lord, to to, uh, truly evaluate in ourselves where we might be worshiping something other than you. Lord, where we might be off track. And Lord, I pray that you would bring us back, each and every one, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.